I feel like I have something like a one-word sermon this morning. The word is no. No more of this. Lately, I've been finding myself waking up in something like a state of chronic lament. Seeing the news feed, as I do, filled with very public cases of domestic abuse and Me Too harassment and cruel deportations that divide families, and now yet another massacre of school children. I fear that the frequency and enormity of these tragedies may dull my capacity to feel the outrage that is the healthy human response to wrongdoing. So I'm going to practice saying it again right here. No, no more of this. We have the right to say no to what damages us and the people we love. Young athletes have the right to say no to health professionals who take advantage of their trust. Parents have the right to say no to medical procedures that make their daughters uncomfortable. Rachel Den Hollander, a former competitive gymnast and Larry Nasser victim, had the right to say no to the systemic cover-up of his sexual abuse. And also the right to say no to her evangelical church leaders who asked her to forgive and forget without accountability. When the gospel of Christ is wielded like a weapon against sexual assault victims, that's wicked, she said. And yes, say I, to her appropriately outraged, no. These are the headline cases that deepen my lament, but they also serve to remind me of the ordinary baptismal truths that we Episcopalians hold dear We don't have to say yes to anything that fails to serve Christ in one another or to anything that disrespects the dignity of human beings, including the dignity of ourselves. We don't have to say yes to relationships that damage us. We don't have to say yes to shame. We don't have to say yes to manipulation or abuse in our families or workplaces. We have the right to say no. And we also have the capacity to say no. Jesus himself showed us the way. Now from Mark's spare prose, we learned that he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. But if you've read Matthew and Luke's more dramatic renditions, you'll recall that Jesus was tempted in three ways to make bread out of stones, to jump from a mountaintop, and to worship the devil in exchange for temporal power. The point of this temptation story is not to suggest that there's anything inherently wrong with food or political power or, for example, Andreas Wellinger's spectacular gold medal winning alpine ski jump. But unchecked hedonism Egoism and materialism have the potential to be as damaging to the human soul as any abuse. And God knows, as Jesus demonstrated, that we sometimes have to say no to those risky choices 
that undermine our ability to say an authentic yes to those things that are good. Today, some of our catechesis students, those who are preparing for holy baptism, confirmation, or reception this year, will be enrolled, so to speak, that's the language, by signing our book of catechumens during the offertory. Now, you might think of this as a kind of symbolic yes to God. And it's one of the ways in which our catechumens indicate their intention to live a covenanted Christian life as they enter into the Lenten portion of their preparation. I invite your prayers for them. On the eve of Easter and on Trinity Sunday, these same people will stand up in our midst again and say, I will, with God's help, to various ways of living a good and holy life. If you've been to a baptism in the Episcopal Church, you've probably affirmed these things yourself, continuing the apostles' teaching and fellowship, persevering in resisting evil and being willing to repent, proclaiming good news, seeking and serving Christ in all persons, striving for justice and peace among all people, and respecting the dignity of every human being. But next time you're here for a baptism, pay attention to the order of the questions that appear in the baptismal rite before they get to all those beautiful affirmations that we call the baptismal covenant, actually before all of us get to it because we get to say it together. We also ask those being baptized to say a series of no's. They will renounce Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness. They will renounce evil powers which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. And they will renounce sinful desires that draw them from the love of God. Now that's some pretty strange church language, I'll admit. But it's intended to echo Jesus' own three wilderness temptations and to remind us that we too have the capacity to say no to wrongdoing. No, no more of this. Covenant itself is a pretty strange churchy word. We don't use it in everyday conversation. But you heard it several times in our first lesson. God said to Noah and his sons, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. There are no conditions on this covenant. It's not a be good and I won't drown you kind of deal. Essentially, God said, no, no more of this to God's own destructive capacity. If God can say no to the exercise of destructive power, then so can we. We don't have to say yes to physical or emotional violence against vulnerable people or ourselves. We have the power to say no, and like God, we have the responsibility to say no. 
Sometimes we have to look evil right in the eye, including the evil we ourselves are capable of, and say a definitive, no, no more of this. We renounce wrongdoing, even those good things that might tempt us toward wrongdoing, in order to make room for God's kingdom of love to flourish. You know what I mean. It's that kingdom wherein children are safe in school and women and families are respected and angry young men don't fall through the cracks. All this is possible. But sometimes it takes a loud and clear no on our part in order to make room for God's yes. Do I make my plans according to ordinary human standards, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? Asked Paul in his letter to the perpetually infighting Corinthian church. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes, for in him every one of God's promises is yes. What do you say no to, and what is your yes? Those are questions worth exploring during Lent. Maybe you've already decided to take on something new as a kind of yes or, or give up something during Lent as your no. It might be chocolate or wine or the temptation to blame others or self-doubt or shame or political indifference. Now these are not matters of salvation. God is going to love you whether you take on a dozen Lenten disciplines or break a dozen Lenten disciplines or do nothing at all. But what I'm really interested in is how you are called to renounce temptation. The temptation, for example, to do wrong to another or to yourself. The temptation to indifference or despair. The temptation to accepting evil as the status quo. How will you say no to the temptation of thinking that you or the systems you live within can't be changed. Because that's not true. You have both the power and the responsibility to say no. And you know that Easter is coming with its resounding and irrefutable yes. In the meantime, Here's my prayer for you. May this be your Lent of discontent, wherein you risk paying deep and fearless attention to all that is wrong. And you may find yourself outraged and grieving. Lord knows that I have. And then let this also be the Lent of your non-consent, wherein you find the new and powerful no that allows you to recognize and embrace anew the authentic yes that is always and inevitably God's deepest desire for us. Amen.